Happy Aphrodite April, bunny rabbits! My name is Jessie, and welcome to my podcast, Tea with the Gods. I'm back, back again. There's no way I was going to let April slip by without a tea party or two. I miss sipping and spilling tea with you all, and Aphrodite was long overdue for an official episode. If you don't know, April is Aphrodite's sacred month. Why? Because the Romans in the number four. So it's Aphrodite's month, and we are celebrating. I'm starting off the celebrations with this episode all about misconceptions. If you listen to my episode about my relationship with Aphrodite, you'll know that misconceptions very nearly kept me from her. And unfortunately, I'm not alone in that. I get questions on a routine basis from potential worshippers fearful of working with Aphrodite because of one or more of these misconceptions. It truly breaks my heart since I know how rewarding and worthwhile the relationship with Aphrodite can be. Watching people deny themselves of that life-changing and fulfilling experience for reasons that aren't even accurate devastates me. It's why I've made it my mission to completely obliterate every misconception about my dearest deity, so they can no longer be a barrier between worshippers and the love of Aphrodite. That's what I'm going to do here, loves. We're going to watch those misconceptions burn while raising our teacups to Big Papa, letting all the inaccuracies, misogyny, and complete bullshit turn to ash. So, pour your tea... Make sure it's nice and hot because I'm ready to light some God's damn matches. The first misconception I want to discuss in this roulette wheel of bullshittery is the one that almost got me. That Aphrodite has a type. This is actually something that isn't exclusive to Aphrodite. Many people believe this about other deities as well, but I find it to be more prevalent with Aphrodite. My guess is that her association with beauty triggers our insecurities and low self-esteem. Beauty is a very controversial and sensitive topic in our society. I think it's very fair to say that each and every one of us have been traumatized in some way by the rigid beauty standards of the world. Knowing that, it's easy to see why a deity like Aphrodite would be incredibly intimidating to approach. It's like trying to talk to Regina George and hoping she'll let you sit with the rest of the plastics. But what we all fail to recognize is that we are projecting our own assumptions based solely on mythology and the influences of society onto Aphrodite. It's not a real Jesse tea party without spilling the tea on mythology, is it? Okay, so I'm just gonna say it. Aphrodite, forgive me but she is really not at all likable in the myths. We'll talk about why later. Spoiler alert, it's the patriarchy. She's mean, vain, cruel, jealous, self-centered, and really seems to not like other ladies. She's the stereotypical mean popular girl. So, Regina George. And that image is absolutely the image that has been perpetuated time and time again throughout media. The inner circle of the popular girl is exclusive. That's part of her power and desirability. Being one of the chosen few who gets to walk by her side or sit with her at lunch sends a message to everyone else that you're essentially better than them. 
Having the top tier of the social hierarchy deem you worthy enough to orbit closely around her gives a sense of specialness. And the interesting thing is that kind of interaction can also be seen when we're discussing the divine. Worshippers feel a sense of worthiness, specialness, and even superiority when a god reaches out to them. The thing about the popular girl is that we know we likely won't ever be accepted in her inner circle, since she is very selective with who she allows in. And maybe we don't even want to, or we convince ourselves we don't. But regardless, there is always a tiny part of us that kind of wishes we could be part of that exclusive club. And here is where we find our way back to Aphrodite, and my overall point. In our minds, whether we're aware of it or not, Aphrodite represents the popular girl, and her worshippers are her exclusive inner circle. An inner circle we truly wish we could be a part of, but we know we can't, because society has already told us whether we're worthy or not. The type of girl, and notice I keep saying girl, oh, we'll get to that one later as well. The type of girl that is thought to get accepted by Aphrodite is, of course, stunningly beautiful, fashionable, hyper-feminine, and loved and adored by everyone, especially boys. But this whole depiction of Aphrodite is an illusion, started by mythology, adopted by media, enforced by society, and we all consumed and digested it. Just as Regina George isn't real, this caricature of Aphrodite is merely fiction. The concept of types do not exist in her world, especially because Aphrodite herself doesn't even fit into a type, as we'll later see. So why would she force that on her followers? Not to mention her most well-known aspects, love and beauty, actually help to prove my point. Which leads me into the next misconception. Because society has very limited and one-dimensional definitions of love and beauty, we have created a habit of applying those watered-down meanings to Aphrodite. Beauty does not have one definition or one representation. Beauty exists everywhere, in everything, and in everyone. The color of your skin the length of your hair, the shape of your body, your stretch marks, your dimples, your freckles, your scars, and your moles are not elements of you that will be judged by Aphrodite. They are parts of you that will be loved by her. Because to Aphrodite, we each are beautiful in our own unique way. Her role as the goddess of beauty isn't meant for a select few. Just as her epithet, pandemos, means of all, Aphrodite is the goddess of all of our beauty. She represents us all, just the way we are. Love is another aspect of Aphrodite's that is completely misunderstood and painfully oversimplified. Just like beauty, love isn't one-dimensional. Society likes to put romantic love on the ultimate pedestal, declaring it the only type of love that matters. But once again, society is staring us all wrong. What a shocker! There are so many ways that we as humans can experience love, and no one way is more important than the other. There's love for our family, whether by blood or found family, love for our friends, 
love for our animal companions, love for our fellow humans, love for the gods, love for our world, and of course, love for ourselves. All the ways love can and does exist within us falls under the rule of Aphrodite. Speaking of love, let's quickly discuss aromantics and asexuals. A lot of people worry that having little to no interest in romance and or sex denies them access to Aphrodite. Well, as I just discussed, romantic love is not the only type of love Aphrodite represents. Platonic relationships that are meaningful to you matter just as much to Aphrodite as someone else's romantic one. And when it comes to her role as a sex goddess, Aphrodite isn't looking for everyone to feel the same way as she does about sex. Because self-love is under her rule as well, what she genuinely wants is for people to be true to themselves. If sex isn't really your thing, then she wants you to honor that and not try to force yourself into any uncomfortable situations. Be who you are and be proud of it. And that goes for any of Aphrodite's aspects and associations. You don't need to like or be into every single thing she represents in order to worship her. As we'll see, there is a lot to Aphrodite, meaning if you choose to ignore certain aspects, there's still plenty you can focus on. Now, I think I successfully proven my point that Aphrodite does not have a type she prefers, but instead welcomes all into her golden kingdom of awesome. But there's still so much more to discuss. So much more. This is going to be a long episode. Moving on. Let's take a pit stop at gender, shall we? Oh, gender, you elusive little bitch. You're like Peter Pan's shadow. I can't seem to catch you no matter how hard I try. As I pointed out earlier, Aphrodite is heavily associated with women since she is depicted as being hyper-feminine and is associated with elements that are traditionally female. But you know, this is the 21st century. Hard to believe sometimes, though. Gender roles can get fucked. Feminine doesn't automatically mean female, and gender exists on a spectrum that exists in its own realm somewhere. Like, what even is gender? But the point is we evolved and grew out of the box where this misconception was first spawned. There are genders that exist out of the binary, and how we experience and label feminine and masculine has changed. So, to pretend like Aphrodite only fucks with feminine women is extremely outdated and actually historically inaccurate. Oh, did I get your attention with that? I did, didn't I? Well, you're going to have to wait. What I will say is that Aphrodite historically has played a part in aspects and roles that were geared mainly towards men. So, the idea that Aphrodite only caters towards the matters of women is factually incorrect. All genders are welcomed here. One of the biggest misconceptions has to do with Aphrodite's relationships with the other goddesses. It's surprising, or maybe unsurprising, how many witch and pagan books talk about how Persephone, Artemis, and Athena do not, at all, get along with Aphrodite. I get asked frequently if it's okay to worship other goddesses, mainly Persephone, 
along with Aphrodite. It's a falsehood that has unfortunately been spread far and wide, and the real problem is that it seems no one questions it. They read it online or in a book and just accept it as truth instead of asking the most important question. Why? Why is Aphrodite hated amongst most of the goddesses? Well, in the case of Persephone, since she's typically the one most pinned against Aphrodite, people cite the Adonis myth. And to sum it up for those who don't know, Aphrodite and Persephone fought over the pretty boy. And that's it. That's apparently why Aphrodite and Persephone hate each other so much that they can't be worshipped together. You know, it's funny, because there are plenty of feuds within mythology, like Athena and Poseidon, Zeus and Ares, Athena and Ares, Ares and Poseidon. But I never hear anyone talk about not being able to worship any of those gods together, or any of the other gods who have feuded at some point in mythology. I wonder why that is. I wonder why two goddesses who had a small dispute would be seen as hating each other, but not so much for any of the feuds featuring at least one male god. What could it be? The answer, my friends, is misogyny. And we are back to shitting on mythology. Woo! The reason people believe that the goddesses hate Aphrodite is because mythology is misogynistic. So friggin' misogynistic. It does not like women at all divine or mortal. When you actually dissect the myths, you can clearly see that women are not at all represented as being supportive of one another, especially the goddesses. They are portrayed as being jealous of one another, in constant competition, um, judgment of Paris anyone, Oh, a whole fucking war started because Hera and Athena couldn't be happy for Aphrodite winning prom queen and instead tried to carry her. And being unspeakably cruel to one another, especially mortal women. There is zero sense of sisterhood in these stories. Women are not supporting women. Because there's nothing more scarier to a man than women united. It keeps them up at night. They hear girl power in their dreams and wake up in a cold sweat. It's not pretty. And come on, if Aphrodite, Artemis, Persephone, Athena, Hera, Demeter, and Hestia were a united front, do you think half the shit that went down in mythology would have actually happened? Nah, things would be very different. This also echoes back to my first point about Aphrodite representing the popular girl. Typically, the popular girl is not well-liked by other ladies because of jealousy and competition. She has all the good looks and gets all the attention, and it isn't fair because why her and not me? Why does Aphrodite get the golden apple? And why does Aphrodite get Adonis? And Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like, did you really think Hollywood came up with all these tropes, archetypes, and stereotypes on their own? Don't give them that much credit. They don't deserve it. They keep making Hades the devil and Ares evil. And to further back up my point, I've been an Aphrodite devotee for about six years now and have worshipped both Persephone and Artemis alongside Aphrodite with no issue whatsoever. 
I've actually gotten the sense that they are quite close. Remember, the myths make no mention of any women-loving-women relationships, which by itself is really a clear indication that the myths are not to be trusted. They aren't good representation of the Theoi as a whole, but it especially rings true for the goddesses. So please, please, please look past mythology and for God's sake, question everything you read and come across. Don't take any of it as fact right off the bat. Research it, talk to others about it, talk to the gods about it, sit and contemplate it, Keep asking why until you reach the end and only stop when you're completely satisfied. The very last misconception I'll be discussing is actually a setup for the next episode, so I won't be going into full detail about it now, but I do want to touch on it, both to get people mindful of it and also to get you all excited for the next episode. The fact that Aphrodite is way more than love sex, beauty, and procreation. My research on our dear lady continues to show me how expansive her reach truly is. It blows my mind every time I uncover new discoveries. She keeps surprising me, even when I think there's no surprises left. She has a war aspect, a death aspect, a political aspect, possibly some associations to medicine, and as stated before, associations to issues and concerns specific to men. I think the greatest misconception of Aphrodite is believing she's one-dimensional, because in actuality, she's a fucking universe. And there are galaxies still left for us to uncover and discover within her. And I've dedicated my life to searching her cosmos in hopes of getting a taste of who Aphrodite truly is. Just like the universe, I know I won't reach the furthest part, but I want to go as far as I'm able and learn as many of her secrets as she'll allow. And of course, share my findings with you all, which is exactly what I'll be doing next time. Alright, turtle doves, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please let me know your thoughts and what you're doing for Aphrodite April, if anything, in the comments or message me on social media. I'm the Pastel Priestess on Tumblr and Instagram and Tea with the Gods on Twitter. And just a reminder that for the month of April, I'll be doing live streams dedicated to Aphrodite every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on my YouTube channel, which is the Pastel Priestess. I'll be holding a community prayer in honor of Aphrodite, dedicate the stream to her, and then we just discuss her. So definitely come hang out if you can. In difficult and uncertain times like these, it's nice to have a community to lean on. And I also encourage you all to allow your gods to support you and be there for you. Having the support system of the divine and the community is one of the biggest joys of faith and religion, so try and take advantage of it. I do wish you all the best and hope that you are doing well. Please take care of yourselves and those around you. Many blessings, my loves.